Welcome to the Women's Hope Podcast, co-hosted by Dr. Shelby Cullen and Kimberly Cummings. The Women's Hope Podcast is about speaking woman to woman, generation to generation, bringing hope and encouragement through the Word of God. Now, let's join Dr. Shelby Cullen and Kimberly Cummings on the Women's Hope Podcast. Well, welcome again to the Women's Hope Podcast. I'm Kimberly Cummings, and I'm here with my dear friend and partner in crime slash discipleship counseling, uh, Shelby Colin. Welcome back. You have been a traveling girl, and so I have missed you. I'm so, so glad that you are back, and we are back into recording. We look forward to what you have to share uh, right now regarding our very, very special guest who I am very thankful for, uh, Dr. Street. I think this will be a treat for our women. So with that being said, why don't you introduce our friend? Yes, I'm so excited because we just, and amazingly enough, we just finished a series on getting to the heart of biblical counseling discipleship. So ladies, we wanted to <clears throat> encourage you in your discipleship journey with the words of my friend, Dr. John Street, who knows and does discipleship well. But before we begin, I thought it'd be good to, introduce him. Um, Dr. John Street is the chair of the Master of Arts in Biblical Counseling program and a professor of biblical counseling at the Master's University and Seminary in California. He's also a fellow and the president of the Board of Trustees of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, or as we fondly know it, ACBC. Dr. Street um, joined the staff at the Master's University and Seminary in 1999, so he's been around a while. I just realized he's a 20-year mark. He is a second-generation pastor, giving more than 40 years to pastoral ministry, which is such a blessing. Um, Frequently, Dr. Street travels uh, doing many, many biblical counseling training conferences throughout the United States and really the world. Um, He has published three books, uh, Men Counseling Men, The Biblical Counseling Guide for Women, which I actually use in my class, my Women Discipling Women class, and more recently published Passions of the Heart, uh, Biblical Counsel for Stubborn Sexual Sins, and that's just been a blessing to many. Um, He is married to his girlfriend, Janie. Um, She is his sweet wife of over 41 years. Uh, They have four children, uh, six beautiful grandchildren who he loves to spoil greatly. Dr. Street has been my friend for at least 20 years, um, but he's also my boss at the Masters University for at least the last four and a half years. Um, I have great respect for Dr. Street, and I consider him really a spiritual father in the faith, as well as a mentor uh, within the world of the counseling. So my husband, Sean, and I are very grateful to have John and his wife, Janie, in our life. Um, so Dr. Street, we are so grateful that you're here and thank you for joining us this morning. It's a pleasure to be here with you ladies and to be able to just sit down and talk with you as well as many of your listeners here. Well, uh, you spoke at our church in Castaic at Lake Hills Community uh-huh. over this summer and it was so well received and it was such an encouraging mm. time and you brought your beautiful girlfriend mm-hmm. with you and it was just such a blessing yeah. to uh, have our church uh, get to just hear your your heartbeat about uh, biblical discipleship. And I didn't get to be there. I was with the children, mm-hmm. but I did listen to it later. Yeah. And it was so good that I wanted to share some of the highlights that you shared with our church mm-hmm. to share with our women that we minister to through this, this podcast. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that, that you mentioned regarding biblical discipleship is you like to call it expository soul care. Explain that to our listeners, because that's got a new little twist 
on yeah. some of the common uh, phraseology that we hear regarding biblical counseling. Yeah, and I think that that really comes about because of the more recent history of the biblical counseling movement. Uh, I can remember back in the uh, late uh, 1970s, early 1980s, where biblical counseling in most parts of the conservative Bible-believing world was anathema. In fact, I can remember talking to professors at a well-known seminary uh, about biblical counseling back in those days, and they scoffed at the concept of biblical counseling because they were very integrationist. They like to integrate psychology into their counseling, and and so they, they scoffed at the idea. Well, in more recent days, it's really interesting. Biblical counseling is, in a sense, um, won the day because there are now numerous ministries, numerous people who use the terminology now. That has a downside to it, and the downside is there are a lot of people who are actually calling themselves biblical counselors when in reality they're not. They still have essentially a, a framework of dealing with problems that's a secular framework. It comes out of the secular world. It's a secular anthropology, a way in which they view man uh, rather than a biblical anthropology. And then they add a few Bible verses in order right. to make it seem more Christian. And yet they call themselves biblical counselors. That That's kind of discouraging from my point of view, because in doing so, when a person does that kind of thing, they basically undermine the sufficiency as well as the superiority of the Word of God in addressing serious soul problems. And the reason why we like to call it uh, expository soul care is because when a person is ministering the Word of God in counseling, they're arguing down through the text, if you will, or reasoning down through the text, verse by verse, precept by precept, in order to help the counselee gain the mind of Christ or to think God's thoughts after him. That's what expository ministry does. That's what an expository pastor who preaches expository should be doing, should be taking a passage of scripture and actually communicating it and preaching it verse by verse, reasoning down through the text. Well, expository soul care is like that. In other words, we we take seriously bringing our thinking and our mind in line with the argument of scripture rather than just using scripture as little proof texts that we add to it. Um, When we teach the hermeneutics class here at the uh, Master's University in the graduate program, we get all the students to memorize a little axiom that says a text without a context is a pretext for a proof text. In other words, if you don't know what the context of that particular verse is and can argue why that verse says what it says within its context, then you really don't understand that particular passage. And a lot of integrationists, in fact, the vast majority of them, I would say 99% of them, when you read their books and you read what they do in counseling, that's what they do. They grab a verse that seems to appear to agree with their presuppositions, which are very secular. They can be Freudian or Neo-Freudian or Adlerian, or they can be Skinnerian in terms of behaviorism or whatever, a multitude of different issues. That That's the structure. And then they add verses that seem to appear to go with that. They assume that that's right. When in reality, when you take seriously a biblical anthropology, you would never argue that way and you would never use those kind of truths. Well, I don't want to say call them truths, those kind of assertions if you're a well-reasoned Christian from Scripture. So, and yet they would be using that in, in, in counseling. So expository soul care just takes the argument of Scripture seriously and addresses the serious problems of a person's life. Great. Yeah, 
Yeah. You were bringing me back to the time that I was a student. I miss those days, hermeneutics, and just the importance of that. Now, the, the other privilege that I have is I get to partner with you when we um, train counselors. Um, I yeah. do some of the hours along with you, and it's such a privilege, by the way, to be able to train yeah. women um, in that uh, in that when they get to that time in their, their education where they're actually doing their 50 sessions of counseling. And I know that sometimes uh, with new counselors, and really kind of in light of what you just said, we have a tendency to just dispense Bible verses mm-hmm. um, instead of really ministering the Word uh, to mm-hmm. people. And I know that that it's so important, and it really fits in with really expository uh, soul care. But would you mind kind of elaborating on that a little bit and explaining to our audience, what is the difference between just dispensing the Bible to someone versus ministering the Bible to someone? Yeah, sure. That, that In fact, that is a really great question. It, it, I think that concept comes out of my own personal history a little bit because uh, when I came out of seminary, it, it dawned on me that that's what I was doing. I was dispensing the Bible, but I wasn't really ministering to it, uh, the Bible to people. And the difference is it is that a person who really ministers the Bible understands the biblical text well, but they also understand people well. All right. And they're able to intersect the two of them and bring the proper text to bear upon whatever's going on in that particular person's life. And it's at that intersection that that ministry actually takes place. A lot of guys who graduate from seminaries all around the country know how to dispense the Bible, but they don't know how to minister the Bible. I, and I was like that when I graduated from seminary. I I, I knew what the Bible said. I, I loved Greek classes. I loved Hebrew. A lot of guys don't even love those, but I did. I really loved those. And I loved my theology classes and I loved my history of the church classes and I loved my advanced grammar classes and on and on and on. But that gets you into the tech, uh, the technical parts of understanding the Bible. But just because you understand the Bible doesn't necessarily mean that you understand people. You've got to understand people well. What is it that really motivates them from the heart um, when when they say certain things or do certain things? Why do they do those things? All right. Now, contemporary psychology will blame it on lots of things. They'll, the alignment of the planets or their different personalities or, or they'll blame it on, you know, men are from Mars and women are from Venus and those kind of things, which the Bible doesn't doesn't say that that's true at all. None of that is true. What What is true is the fact that we have very, very sinful hearts. And sometimes uh, it is true that we can suffer at the hands of what other people have done or circumstances that have occurred. But even then, we still have sinful hearts that respond to that suffering sometimes in sinful ways. And then sometimes we're sinners and we're just overt sinners. And the Bible says that that's at the very core of our problems. Um, um, what has ever happened to sin? In fact, sin in our culture is um, almost purged out of the conversations. Um, guilt and the concept of guilt that comes from sin is considered by our culture as being a toxic poison. Well, from the Bible, guilt is actually our friend. It's not our enemy. Guilt is that red light that goes off in our life that says that something is wrong. Well, what do you do when a red light goes off on the dashboard of your car? You don't pick up a hammer and smash the red light. No, no, no. You pull the car over, you open the hood, you take a look at what's going on inside. So when guilt goes off in our life, there, there's something wrong. Well, a person who understands how people think, how they function, is best able to minister the Word of God and not just dispense it so that people don't understand how it relates to life. I just taught a seminary class yesterday and I talked about how, listen, theology is an absolutely useless study. And you could hear the gasp among the students in the 
the class. It's an absolutely useless study. And now I said, now, if you quote me on Facebook, you've got to also say this, unless you understand how it relates to life and how it's supposed to change life. Otherwise, it's just a scholarly exercise and it's meaningless. And this is the way a lot of uh, people are with the Bible. They may understand good theology, but they don't know how that intersects with a person who has comes to you with a presentation problem of uh, bipolar 2 disorder. How does the Bible interact with that? The Bible speaks to that very authoritatively. You're not going to find bipolar or manic depression in the concordance of your Bible. But when that's just a label. That's just a secular label. When you look behind the label at the set of symptoms that that bipolar 2 describes, it's that set of symptoms now that is uh, now clearly addressed in the Bible. For example, you read Jonah chapter 4. Jonah was bipolar. It talks about the fact that he was exceeding. The Hebrew is very clear. He was exceedingly uh, happy, uh, euphoric over a gourd that grew over his head. And then the very next day when the gourd died, he was in the depths of depression and he wanted to die. In fact, he wanted to commit suicide. He wanted to die. He says, death is better to me than life. He says that two or three times there in Jonah 4. Well, um, if you take a look at what the secular world is saying, that all the labels that they use, just look behind the labels at the symptomology. Then you're going to be able to, then the Bible becomes a very useful book because it starts to open up to you at that point. This is what I mean by, this is what I think is vitally important about understanding people. Uh, How do they react to circumstances? What does the Bible say about depression? What does the Bible say about fears? What does the Bible say about people who are obsessive, compulsive? What what set of symptoms are behind that? Are there people in the Bible who are that way? Absolutely. There are a whole bunch of people who are that way. And what does the Bible say? How do we address those particular issues? I think this is strange to a lot of people because many people grow up in a church environment where they think the Bible is sufficient as a roadmap to get us to heaven, but it's not sufficient to deal with the serious problems in life here and now. Um, Now, we could accept that, except for the fact that the Bible claims to be sufficient for life here and now. Uh, I remember years ago, Jay Adams saying, a lot of people think that the Bible is about pie in the sky by and by, but in reality, the Bible is also about how to slice the pie of life and enjoy that pie now. Mm -hmm. How do you have an abundant life now. Second Peter 1.3 talks about we have everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. Second Timothy 3.16, uh, it's the word of God that has been given to us to, to thoroughly equip us for every good work. To thoroughly equip us, not partially, not partly. So it speaks to the sufficiency of life now. So we have to take the sufficiency and superiority of the Bible seriously. Yeah, that's so great. And, you know, just kind of listening to you, it, it helps me, it, it reminds me, and I'm sure Kim would say the same, how important it is when we meet with people that we ask really good questions, um, seeking to understand what really is going on in their mm-hmm. life. I remember being told, maybe by Dave Paulson once, that you know people are not problems attached to people. Mm-hmm. Um, even Paul talks about, um, you know, d- just being mindful of different people in the body of Christ, admonish mm-hmm. the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help mm-hmm. the weak. Yeah. And so it's such a great reminder, um, just thinking through how we really need to be better studiers of people, not presume upon them, understand what really is going on in their life, and and then just go from there. So I, I'm thankful for my training that mm. I've received in that way. Um, but the other thing that comes off comes up often is just a misunderstanding about what biblical counseling 
training really is. And so maybe maybe just by sharing with our audience, could you explain, starting with just the idea of what even discipleship or counseling is not? So we'll take it yeah. from the negative first. So what um, can you share just with us what biblical counseling not? Yeah, I, I think one of the greatest, most harmful things that have happened in counseling over the past 250 to 300 years is that counseling has been professionalized. And we have a tendency to think in our culture that unless a person has a PhD in psychotherapy or psychology, that they can't really address the serious problems of life. When in reality, uh, a person who knows how to handle the Bible well and understands people well can really address very, very serious problems. Um, And so when the Bible talks about counseling, it doesn't talk about um, setting up counseling clinics. doesn't talk about getting some degree and then going out and hanging out a shingle and saying, come to me and get counsel and get charged a certain amount of money. It doesn't talk about that anywhere. Uh, in fact, counseling in the Bible always occurs within the context of the local church. In other words, it's not some kind of autonomous ministry that's isolated from the local church. It's, it's a vital part of the local church. And that's the way the counseling has always been. It should be under the authority of qualified church leadership, elders of the church who oversee the doctrinal integrity of that particular counseling, what's what's said, and the integrity and character of the person who's doing the counseling that should be de- said. Um, the state, from a biblical perspective, is not qualified. State licensure is not qualified because it doesn't do things biblically mm. to qualify people for counseling. So we're not talking about some kind of autonomous ministry from the local church where only professionals, only experts are the ones who are supposed to do counseling. But a person well-studied, well-trained in the Word of God. That's the reason why our graduate program in biblical counseling is, I consider, to be vital to the church and to the life of the church because it equips people to go back into the church and serve there. We often tell our students, listen, if you come into this program and you want to go out and hang out a shingle and and do counseling and have people come to you, you're in the wrong program. You're not going to learn that here. You're going to learn to go back and serve under the authority of your local church. That's really critical. And because of that, we also know that from a biblical perspective, counseling is not an optional ministry. It's not something that you add to the church ministry like you would add a weekly senior saints dinner. All right. All right. Oh, okay. Well, we're going to launch in this new area of counseling. We're not going to do that. No, no. Counseling is supposed to be a part of the very fabric of the koinonia of the church, the fellowship of the church. It's supposed to be a part of the very fabric of that church. It's a part of its discipleship. It's not a ministry that somehow you tackle alongside or you add a special emphasis. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those ministries. You have special youth ministries, special senior saint ministries, and those kind of things that go on in the church. But those are kind of extra things. They're not necessarily a vital part of the functioning of that body. They're an expression of that ministry of the body. But we're saying that counseling is a vital part of it. It is the private ministry of the Word of God. All right. As Acts chapter 20 and verse 20 talks about, Paul said, how I did not cease to admonish you publicly and from house to house. And there in Acts 20, Paul is passing over the mantle of ministry from himself to the elders at Ephesus, and he wants them to emulate the same thing, personal ministry of the Word of God. So it's not something that's separate from discipleship. In fact, sometimes we talk about counseling where discipleship teaches a person to understand the Bible, understand who Jesus Christ is, who God is. Counseling is a targeted form of discipleship where you're zeroing in on people problems. Anybody that's done discipleship over an extended period of time knows when you disciple somebody, you keep bumping into their personal problems. You find out this person has problems in their marriage, or they have problems with depression, or they have problems with fear 
triggers in their life or anxiety issues that are going on. You keep bumping in those problems. Well, counseling is a targeted form of discipleship that brings the truth of the Word of God to bear on those specific issues. That's what counseling is. And obviously, counseling is not something that's insensitive or uncaring because a vital part of counseling has to do with um, helping people who are suffering. As 1 Thessalonians 5.14 talks about, we're supposed to uh, admonish the unruly or disorderly. We're supposed to uh, encourage the faint-hearted and help the weak. Well, counseling involves all of that. That means that we have to be sensitive. Am I dealing with someone who's being disorderly or am I dealing with someone who's faint-hearted about things or am I dealing with somebody who's really weak? What kind of person am I dealing with? And that requires involvement, like you're saying. This is getting into their life. This is uh, letting them share their heart so that you can see what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, mm-hmm. that's one of the things that I really appreciate about you because you're seeing the value of that within the, yeah. the local church and that because that's our heartbeat at our church. This is what you do, Shelby. This is what as women that we desire to do with other women. And so in, in the context of our, our mm-hmm. local body. And so I'm, I'm appreciative that you point out this is not an insensitive, like you said, dispensing, because dispensing can be insensitive. Sensitive. That's right. Yes. Right. But you've told us what it's not. Mm-hmm. Real quickly, in about, oh, say five minutes or so. <laughs> Share with us what it is. You're talking to a pastor. He doesn't I, know what five minutes I, is. I believe I'm married to a pastor. <laughs> I, I get it. I get it. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, what is biblical counseling? In, in short order, really, biblical counseling is is there to help people become like Christ, especially in the midst of their problems. It, it's there. Um, it uses the Word of God as a diagnostic tool to discern the thinking and the behavior uh, of of people and the motivations of people and what's right or wrong about that that thinking, behavior, and motivation. It, it's helped them more be more like Christ. That's what makes biblical counseling radically different than a lot of integrational psychology counseling or secular counseling because their main goal is to help people function better and feel better. That's not our goal. Our goal is to help them to be like Christ in the midst of their problems, not necessarily to remove all their problems. All right. Obviously, those problems there sometimes in God's sovereignty are there for a purpose in order to bring out greater godliness in that person's life. So help them to be like Christ. It also discerns the thinking behavior that God wants to change. So not only is the Bible the diagnostic tool, but it it is, and in that sense, you could call it the um, fMRI, the Functional Magnetic Resonance Imaging Program <laughs> of the heart, all right? It, but it it is also the remedy. It, it, the Bible is the remedy. It is, it is following the truth of Scripture that God has outlined there that helps to align those desires, align the thinking, align the behavior to be Christ-like, to be God-like in their responses. And this is where a lot of people think they're already that way, when in reality, the problems that they're in are showing that their heart is not there. And in addition to that, it seeks sanctification and Christ-likeness for the believer and the glory of God. All other counseling that's not biblical counseling is anthrocentric. That means it's all about man. It's all about focusing on man, solving man's problem. Where biblical counseling is not anthrocentric, it is theocentric. It is about God. It's about what glorifies God. It's what going is going to uh, bring God great glory 
worry in the midst of whatever problems that they have. And biblical counseling is also what we would call nuthetic. That's just a New Testament word that comes from the word nuthetao, which is a noun and a verb put together. The noun is nous, which means mind, and the verb is tithemi, which means to place or to put. So it means to place or to put sense into the mind. That's what counseling attempts to do. And in this sense, we're trying to place God's sense, God's thoughts into the mind. How does that person view their circumstances? They've got to view it through God's lens. How do they view their life? They've got to view it through God's lens. How do they view their own heart? They've got to view it through God's lens. That's key. It is absolutely key. Uh, and I love that you threw that Greek in there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, I'm a little bit of a Greek nerd. I'd like to be more of one, but time uh, fails me right now in that opportunity. But I, I, and I like how you just practically explained it. And so often, especially with ministering to women, um, when we're working through the emotions, um, our hearts, as one woman has said very Mm -hmm. well, cannot love what our minds do not know. Mm -hmm. And so as we are speaking lovingly these truths into other women, women's minds or whoever uh, we come alongside practically, um, it is for the heart change. Mm -hmm. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to be with us, uh, just to share just some of the confusion uh, about the confusion maybe of what it looks like within the local church and what it maybe shouldn't look like. I really, that's one of the many things that, that my husband and I appreciate about the emphasis that you, that you share when you minister of just this is body life koinonia mm-hmm. again a yes. uh, fellowship and um coming from the south mm-hmm. we we <laughs> we know what fellowship is not yes <laughs> right? exactly yeah <laughs> And uh, it is not always. Uh, it always involves a casseroles. Yeah, casseroles and iced tea. Right? Uh, yes, sweet tea, <laughs> sweet, sweet tea, tea. Yeah. sweet tea. And you gotta say it with the right accent. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. but you're you're showing the beautiful value of that heart to heart fellowship yes. as we put our minds towards the Word of God and yep. let Him do, as we said in mm. in one of our episodes, the Holy Spirit do the transforming work. Yeah. So thank you you're so welcome. much, our audience will be so grateful it's a pleasure for to be you. Here. We are very grateful. Thank you so much, Dr. Street. Well, and as I say every week to our women who are usually sipping on a cup of coffee when they're <laughs> listening or in the, in, the, in the line picking up their kids from school, uh, enjoy your coffee. Thank you for listening to the Women's Hope Podcast today. If you enjoyed this show, please leave a rating on your podcast app of choice, share the podcast with your friends and family on social media, or subscribe to support the show. We would love to hear from you on Instagram and Twitter using the handle Women's Hope Show, on Facebook at Servants of Grace, or on the front page of ServantsofGrace.org.